Hello, hello, and welcome back to Brailcast after our summer recess. It's a pleasure to be with you again on the world's only podcast, keeping our fingers on all things Braille. And coming up in this episode, we're going to be talking about the Orbit Reader. RNIB have announced a date and a price. We'll also talk a bit about the Brailliant BI14, what's new in Braille from Apple, as well as Braille signage. We'll be getting to know Holly Scott Gardner. That's all coming up on this episode of Brailcast. RNIB has announced that the new low-cost Braille display, the Orbit Reader, will go on sale in the UK from Monday the 8th of October 2018. The Orbit Reader features 20 Braille cells, a basic note-taker and the ability to connect to a range of tablets, smartphones and computers. The UK price will be £449, excluding VAT, but RNIB are offering a special. If you join RNIB Connect, RNIB's uh, social network, you can get an Orbit Reader for £399. Also in the news, the American Foundation for the Blind have reviewed Humanware's Brilliant BI14, a new smart braille display selling for under £1,000. The review is largely positive and we'll be hearing comments uh, from our guests shortly. Apple in September, of course, released iOS 12, including many new features for braille displays, in particular the ability to assign braille commands to quick navigation. And Borivali is the first railway station in Mumbai in India to offer braille-friendly platform indicators. And we'd like to know your thoughts about braille signage in general. So welcome in to our guests this month, Matthew Horsbull, regular contributor on Brailcast, Braille transcriber, of course, in Coventry, member of UCAF, I think, Matthew. Welcome back. How are you? Good to be with you. Yeah, I'm I'm all right. Yeah. Um, looking forward to getting back into Brailcast and talking about Braille. And also joining us this month is Holly Scott Gardner, who is a blind student, activist, traveller, political animal, I think it's fair to say, guide dog user, and the list goes on. But Holly, you've got a particular interest in language and you are studying Spanish with a special interest in Latin America. Yes, I am. So welcome to Brailcast, and it's really good of you to give up your uh, time to uh, to talk to us. Was there anything there, Holly, that, that kind of grabbed you, stuff that's going on at the moment? Have you seen the Orbit Reader? Are you interested in a low-cost Braille display? Um, I haven't seen the Orbit Reader. I have read some reviews, kind of casual reviews from friends of mine in the United States, because as you probably know, you could buy it in the US before it came over here. So it has been has been released in the US and I have seen kind of reviews of it and you know mixed reviews. I think most people have been fair to say, okay, it doesn't quite work in the same way as another Braille display, but another Braille display might be four times the price. So for what you're paying, it's good value for money is kind of the general consensus I've heard from other people. Exactly. I mean, there are some limitations. There's yeah. no cursor routing keys. It does make a little bit of noise when you use it. But to be able to get your hands on a refreshable Braille display for 400 quid, it's pretty exciting. And actually, if people are interested in Orbit Reader, uh, we did speak with Kelly Superger from Canada, who was one of the first uh, customers in the world to get his hands on the Orbit Reader. 
leader. Matthew, the AFB review of the Brilliant BI14. Have you seen the Brilliant BI14 from from Humanware? I think I might have seen it at a site village, and um, it, it looks very different to the other brilliance on the market and to my mind probably doesn't look quite as slick as the other brilliance on the market and um, the touch sensitive cursor routing I think it's fair to say takes some getting used to Um, I just couldn't get on with them at all but then I've only played with it for about half an hour or so maybe if I'd got it for a few days I'd get used to it the thing that really struck me about it is it feels like a box that could contain 20 braille cells but has only got 14 it can sync up with your iPhone and things like that, but it has to do it through the dedicated Brilliant app, whatever they're calling it. And it, it just feels sluggish and clunky and something that I probably wouldn't use because of the 21st century inconvenience of it all. Now, a lot of blind people are using refreshable Braille displays with their Apple devices. And of course, in September, Apple released iOS 12, the latest version of their mobile operating system. And this included a couple of changes for Braille, uh, most notably the ability to assign commands to find the next table and, uh, and, and, and so on. Have you, have you played with this at all, Matthew? I haven't played with it because actually um, I I don't have a Braille display with buttons on. Uh, well, I mean, I have one with buttons on, but I don't have one with Braille keys on. So I run out of keys to do things like quick nav. But um, I think it's absolutely brilliant that they've put it in. It will really speed up productivity. In the past, I've paired uh, Braille Note Apex up to an iPhone and played with it that way. And in those sorts of situations, it has the potential to really revolutionize web browsing. I suppose... I just wish they'd thought it through a bit and and assigned the shortcuts by default rather than us having to have to go in and do it. The uh, responsiveness with Braille in iOS 12 has really improved. I mean, the responsiveness of iOS 12 generally is is pretty good. I was going to say, it's a rock-solid release, isn't it? Yeah, and Braille input feels uh, a little bit more robust as well. Do you use Braille with your iThings, Holly? It kind of depends. Yes, I have in the past. So when I was first at university, I had a Focus 40, one of their Freedom Scientific Braille displays. I would use that with my phone quite a lot, um, especially if, for example, I was doing a presentation or something and I wanted to access notes without having to use a screen reader. I didn't find I used it for everyday note-taking, but I certainly used it for presenting. These days, I now have a note taker, a Braille note taker, so I don't tend to use it with my phone so much, but I do I do like Braille with the phone, yeah, and I think certainly, maybe even for younger children, I think it has great potential, you know, you could download the Kindle app or iBooks or something, and you have all these eBooks, but you can get someone reading with Braille, so actually that's, you know, a really great way to kind of improve your fluency, but with a wider selection of books. Have you had a chance at all to play with Braille support in iOS 12? Yeah, I've had brief looks at it. I haven't assigned the shortcuts, which is, uh, you know, the new feature you've been discussing. I do think it's a great feature. um, And I really hope that it will, you know, like Matthew said, speed up productivity and kind of make things a bit more user friendly. Um, I have I have paired my note taker with it. And I, I do think Braille in iOS in general is very speedy and it works really well, certainly compared to some systems. You know, for example, Android support is very limited. Okay. Borivali is the first railway station in Mumbai with Braille-friendly platform indicators. How do you guys feel about Braille signage in general? Uh, Is there any point? Obviously, if you don't know a Braille sign's there, then you're probably not going to go looking for it. Is 
is Braille signage something you you care about? Yeah, um, I I care about Braille signage in certain situations, and certainly I think it ought to be there. I feel like, like you say, we don't know that a Braille sign's there until it's been pointed out, and perhaps there needs to be some joined up thinking in terms of um, a, an agreed standard for Braille signage. You know, maybe it should be put at, a, I don't know, nominally. We'll put it one metre above the ground to the right of the door or something so that we all know if there is a Braille sign, this is where it's going to be. I question a little bit how useful a Braille sign is going to be on something like a railway station because it's so busy that am I actually going to be able to get to where the Braille sign is in order to read it? Or would it actually be quicker just to ask the person next to me to show me where the platform is? Sometimes you have a job to get the architect to put the buttons in the same place. I've been on trains where the button to open the door is across the room, you know, in the in the loo, for example. Braille on on touch-sensitive buttons, there's a whole other conversation. Holly, you, you were saying just before we started uh, recording that, that you'd come across some Braille maps, tactile maps, at UK train stations. Yeah, so there are a few UK train stations that have these maps. I can't remember off the top of my head the list. They're kind of 3D maps of the station with a key and Braille on them. And I think they're really interesting. Peterborough is definitely one. Yeah, and I know there's definitely one, I think it could well be Sheffield or Leeds. I know there's one certainly in the north that has it. Sheffield's springing to mind. I think think it's Sheffield, yeah. And I mean, I personally don't find them that useful purely because I don't find tactile maps that useful. But I think there are a lot of blind people who do and a lot of blind people who would look at something like that. And it kind of just gives you an awareness of where things are in the station, even if you're not going to look at that map and then plan a route. What it does do is make you think, oh, okay, this is how this kind of links up with this, you know, and I think I think that's a really good step. And I, I do think that's something that's very positive because you know not all blind people learn the same and some people will really really benefit from those kinds of maps my issue with a lot of tactile maps is they're just too busy yeah you know, that there's too much yeah. going on in a tactile map to to really glean anything mm. useful i had the booklet from uh, birmingham new street when they redeveloped that uh they produced this wonderful uh minolted uh tactile booklet pages and pages of, of diagrams and i i've got it and it and it it's been absolutely no use, no ornament to me because the key goes on for pages, yeah. you know, and um, yeah. the time it takes. Um, I mean, if if I'm going to have a tactile map of a station, New Street aside, I think actually it would be quite useful to have the option to take it away because it's all well and good standing at Sheffield Station reading a map, but it's probably going to take me... And I don't like tactile maps anyway. I can't get anything out of them. But it's probably going to take me a good half, three quarters of an hour to actually gain anything useful. Do you think that's an issue with the maps or do you think it's possibly a training issue? Both, maybe. I think a poor quality map is going to be hard to read. But I also think that a lot of blind people, especially people blind since birth, aren't taught to look at maps and really understand them in a way that maybe we should be. So I think it's an element of both. If you've had really you know good teaching on it and kind of creative teaching I know you know I do know people who have been totally blind since birth who can really handle this well but they've kind of either had orientation and mobility that kind of focuses on that or they've had someone to really work with them Um, but I do think particularly for blind people who are very visual learners or people who've had vision I think that you know they could be incredibly useful because there may be an element of visual memory involved in that. 
I think it's very telling, though, that three of us who are all competent Braille readers yeah. struggle with tactile maps. And, and that says to me that actually the problem is is probably more widespread than, than we may think. The problem's very widespread. There was a, a paper written on this issue, not the issue of tactile maps, but the issue of tactile graphics more widely. It was written for a conference a few years ago by um, the chap who wrote Picture Braille, the tactile graphics software. And he made the point that actually in a cited vocabulary if you like, there's a lot of knowledge about how, how graphics are formed. And he said, you know, if you put three circles together, you get a snowman, even though it looks nothing like a snowman. Actually, blind people are not routinely taught this information. And so how can we possibly expect them to make sense? I mean, it was absolutely fabulous paper. And I'll put a link to it in the notes because it would be really is a fascinating read. Yeah. Well, of course, if people have any comments about any of the uh, stories that we've we've talked about here on Brailcast, or if there's something that you'd like us to look into, uh, you can, of course, drop us a line. News at Brailcast.com is our email address. Or you can follow us on Twitter at Brailcast. Railcast is made possible by the support of Bristol Braille Technology, a community interest company, developer of Canute, the first multi-line Braille e-reader. Visit bristolbraille.co.uk or email inquiries at bristolbraille.co.uk. In the UK, call 0117 325 3022. That's 0117 325 3022. Holly Scott Gardner is a blind student, activist, traveller, but also something that caught my eye when I was finding out about you, Holly. You've written for The Guardian. Yes, I did, actually. Um, It feels like a long time ago now. Uh, I wrote an article about things that blind students should look for when choosing a university, because I think there's a lot of advice floating around out there that isn't necessarily true and maybe some over-exaggerated advice. I tried to give some more realistic advice for students who are kind of filling in their UCAS applications and thinking, now, where do I want to apply to? So The Guardian's a national newspaper. And obviously, if you're preparing copy for a publication like that, you want it to be of the highest possible standard. So here is the $64,000 question, Holly. Did you use Braille? So I touch type and I wrote it on the PC. I do proofread my documents in Braille or try to if I have the time, because I think... There are maybe things I'll pick up in Braille that I wouldn't with a screen reader. I just like to kind of double check in Braille. You study language. You're reading Spanish. You've got a special interest in uh, Latin America. And you've even had the opportunity to to travel to Colombia. That sounds fantastic. Did you find any Braille in Colombia? Yes, I did. Surprisingly. Um, When I moved into an apartment, I discovered there was actually Braille in the lift. And I was really surprised. I certainly hadn't expected that, um, but it was there. And I did discover some kind of Braille book was outside the library on my campus. I think they were doing some sort of event with one of the classes and they had a, they had a Braille book for it. I didn't get the chance to look at it because I was just passing through. But, you know, Braille is something that Colombians do use. Uh, the education system there is still quite difficult for blind students but blind people out there do read Braille. They obviously read Spanish Braille, um, which I can also read. And although I would say it wasn't as present as, for example, in the United States, yeah, Braille is definitely something that exists out there and is used. What role does Braille 
uh, take in in your studying uh, other languages when you're studying Spanish? How do you use Braille? Um, oh gosh, I use Braille quite a lot. I mean, like I said, I use it for presentations. Um, I would do that whether I was presenting in Spanish or English. That's my preferred method. I think that some blind people have perfected presenting using a screen reader. I personally don't find it the most effective form of um, reading my notes while I'm presenting, so I use Braille. I will also use Braille to read. I have to read a lot of books, a lot of short stories and novels, and I will use Braille. I'll also use audio. I'll use text-to-speech with a Spanish uh, TTS engine, of course. But I do use Braille particularly when I'm looking at new vocabulary and wanting to look at spellings and things like that. So I want to be a bit nerdy here. Um, here we I do, I'm sorry. What's the transition like between English Braille and Spanish Braille? Because I know that in German there's a million and one contractions that you've got to learn and in French there's, there's quite a handful that you could or couldn't learn. You know, what... Uh, presumably you've got accented letters and things but apart from that what's what's it like uh honestly really easy because there isn't a grade two so there is only the alphabet and then of course the accented letters so actually there isn't a huge difference i mean there will be small differences in things like punctuation but for me as someone who isn't using it i'm not writing my essays in it normally I would write them on a PC and then I would look over them in Braille and stuff but certainly for reading I haven't found any differences that actually make Spanish that difficult to read in Braille. And if you were to go over to a Spanish hotel and you were to I don't know let's say they've got a safety notice in Braille in Spanish you know enough Spanish to read it would you know enough Braille to read it at that point having not officially studied Spanish Braille? Yeah because um actually when I was flying to Mexico I went on holiday to Mexico um on the plane, you know, they give out safety information. They actually had a Braille safety card. And because it was a Latin American airline, it was in Spanish. But it was in Braille and I could read that. Mm-hmm. Back in the days when I had more hair, uh, I was the <laughs> product manager for a screen reader. Um, and one of the things that I was told at the time was that there are kind of two versions of, of, of some language codes in as much as there is a... Spanish Braille code that is used by native Spanish speakers, but then there is also a code which is used in the UK for students of Spanish. Have you have you come across that? No, I haven't, because I mean the code that's used by native Spanish speakers is so easy to learn. I don't know why you'd want an adapted code, honestly, because there just isn't the level of contractions. I mean, if you're doing German, I mean, I studied German in secondary school and German Braille in Germany is incredibly complicated. So you really have to use kind of a watered down version if you've got any hope of, you know, reading it by the end of your GCSEs. But I would say that's not the case for Spanish. When I did French Braille, there was a UK um, French sort of code that was the accepted standard for doing French exam papers and things like that, which I knew was very different to the actual French code. Um, there is a French grade too, I think. But I mean, yes. there's, yeah, we, we don't use it. But it, I suppose if Spanish doesn't have a grade two anyway, how does it do numbers just out of interest? I've seen numbers very similarly to how I would have learnt numbers in the British Maths Braille code. 
From what I can see, there isn't a vast amount of difference. But again, I mean, I'm not reading mathematical documents. In French, they use a dot six, for example, don't they? Um, they use a dot six and the upper part of the cell. So you don't have a number sign when you're writing numbers in French. Is that right, Matthew? That's, yeah, that's how they do it in proper French. Yeah. As you probably know on the Braille Note Touch, you can add language profiles and you can choose what Braille table you want for conversion. That is very mm. handy. And uh, we yes. did speak to TVIs about Braille Note Touch on a previous broadcast, and people should mm. go back and check that out. I should also say other Braille Note takers are available. Talk us through your, your kind of workflow there, Holly. I do use, like I said, a Braille Note Touch. And the one good thing is that I've, you know, created language profiles. So I can press a keystroke and very quickly move between it. And the one nice thing is... Um, you know, with the language profile, you can save a text-to-speech voice, a speech rate, a volume, and preferred grade for entry. So that's like literary Braille. And then it says preferred grade for display. Again, literary Braille and then computer Braille table. I have Espanol. There was a story, Coca-Cola had a campaign, I don't know if you can still get the bottles, where they were selling bottles of Coke and you could get a bottle with your name on it if your name was sufficiently popular. We'd probably be all right with Dave, Matthew and Holly, but um, my son Arlo might struggle. I heard that in Colombia you could get um, Coke bottles with Braille on them. Did you encounter that? I don't think I did. I'm sure I, I must have remembered if I... You would. You would. If you've got a bottle of Coke with Braille on it, you would remember brought it home as a souvenir. Of course you would. You've travelled quite a bit, Holly. You've been to Colombia, you've been to Spain, you've been to the US, and I'm sure many other places besides. I mean, what role does Braille play in your your travels around the place? It really depends where I am. For example, when I am in the US... I use Braille for things like buttons on lifts and for numbers on hotel rooms and for bathroom signs because of the Americans with Disabilities Act. Buildings built after 1991, they have to have Braille signage legally. And if they don't, they can get in an awful lot of trouble. So if you go to like a restaurant, the bathroom should be labelled with Braille signage. And there is actually a standard for where those signs should appear. Now, whether businesses adhere to that standard is something else but the point is that there is this standard and they should so you tend to be able to find the sign and um you know because you expect it because it's a legal requirement you do i would say seek it out more than you would over here i noticed uh, in new york when you go in a yellow cab uh, they have the uh, driver's badge number and a telephone number that you can call in the event of a problem written in braille on the back of the uh, the driver's seat so if you're sitting in the back seat you can you can find this information in braille and i was staggered the first time i uh, i encountered yeah. that how do you find braille awareness in in other places that you've you've traveled I think most people have a concept of what Braille is, but you either find in developing countries they're really desperately struggling to get access to it, and then you find in developed countries they're going, no, we should be using technology, we don't need Braille. And it's this really weird like combination of, you know, you get one half basically saying we don't need it when actually people are still using it, and then you have the other half that are like, oh, we really want access to this, but we can't afford it. Actually, technology plus Braille it can be quite a winning combination. It sounds to me like compared to America, England has a relative absence of Braille. Would that be a fair assessment? And and how does that strike you? 
I think it's true and I think certainly in public places for example you do find you know fair few lifts with braille but I would say really that's the extent like it's very rare in England to stumble across a sign on a bathroom door that has braille on it and I would say that's still quite a big surprise whereas in the US it became actually quite normal to look for those signs. I do think it, it kind of strikes me to show how unnecessary it is and it also makes me think how weak our laws are, how weak the Equality Act is because it's so much based on reasonable adjustment and there's no real mandate to kind of force businesses to do this. But actually, it's something very simple. If I can just play devil's advocate for a second, Holly, though, if the RNIB figures are to believed, if less than 35,000 people are using Braille in the UK out of a population of 60 million, how can we justify that? demand or that expectation that 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 braille should be provisioned not just in terms of signage but if you want information i mean i i can get my utility bills in braille i can get um in some chain restaurants i can get the menu in in braille i don't feel deprived of braille even when i've been you know to the us and i'm not convinced that the us has it massively massively better most of the hotels that i stay in tend to have braille on the hotel room doors or if they don't they've got tactile print you know given that actually we probably do quite well in the uk compared to a lot of places how do how do we justify given that our numbers are so small i mean i think we have to ask as well why are the numbers small are the numbers small because people don't need braille or are the numbers small because there's limited access to ways of learning braille i mean i know a lot a lot of adults who go blind and they're like oh i wish i could learn braille but i really don't know where to begin and the rnib says oh well we have these braille courses but they're for sighted people who want to learn braille sorry and you know it may just be that they called the wrong person at the rnib you know i'm not in a position to say but it's, i think there's multiple issues at play it's like okay maybe the statistics are low but are they low because there isn't seen much of a point of learning Braille because we don't have good access to Braille? Or is it because there's limited training materials? Or is it because children who really should be using Braille are told they should only use screen readers? So it's like, is it that Braille isn't useful? Or is it that actually we're denying people a chance to learn Braille? And I mean, I have feelings about that, but I don't have a concrete answer, of course. Yeah, and of course, the thing we need is... is it's more research, isn't it, to, yes. to, to, to back some of this yeah. up. Matthew? I have quite a strong feeling that actually in day-to-day -day life, the most useful application of Braille to me is, is music. But secondary to that, the most useful application of Braille is the very, very basic stuff like numbers on hotel room doors, labelling up uh, the food that's in my freezer. Very, very simple stuff like that. I probably wouldn't choose to have my bank statement in Braille because if I was a sighted person, I wouldn't choose to have my bank statement on paper. But I feel like this this sort of backs up the argument that actually if we had Braille in more places, then perhaps there would be a greater um, emphasis put on people learning it, particularly older people, because actually to teach older people grade two Braille, uh, in my very limited experience of doing it, takes years and years and years. It could take take a year or two just to get them proficient in grade one. But if all they know is grade one and numbers, and every hotel had numbers, then th they'd be away. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you get them young, uh, I mean, I've taught a child, you know, to write his name in Braille in, you know, in a few minutes. I maintain that I think, you know, for an average, the intelligent person, you can learn the Braille alphabet you know, in probably a couple of hours, and then it's a question of how much you practice. Yeah, but it's the tactile sensitivity of older people that tends to hold them back sometimes. 
That's right. And that's where pre pre braille skills are so important. Things like the tactile Rubik cube or, or, you know, tactile rulers and uh, just doing things by sorting your money by touch, you know, just those sorts of tracking and, and discriminating and all those tactile skills that you need before you even lay a finger on a, on a dot of braille are also so important. Well, this month we have the opportunity to promote Braille and get involved in Braille events. National Braille Week is being run by the uh, Royal Blind Charity in Scotland during the second week of October and more information can be found on their website and the link will, of course, be in our show notes. Site Village Southeast will be an opportunity to uh, discover much of the Braille equipment that is available in the UK. And so we'd urge you to come along to that. Uh, I'll be there. Hope you can join me uh, from our guests this month, Matthew Horsball, Braille transcriber and uh, all round Braille caster. Thank you, sir for your uh, contribution. That's not a problem. Thank you for having me on. And uh, Holly Scott Gardner. I hope this isn't the last we're going to hear from you, Holly. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming, and I hope we can persuade you to come back at some point. Sure. So that's it from Brailcast this time. Uh, don't forget, if you want to get in touch, the email address is news at brailcast.com, or you could tweet at Brailcast. Until next time, from me, Dave Williams, and all the Brailcast team, bye for now. Thank you.